This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I am your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BurnsClan. Please follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the founder of The Witness, very extensive bio, very expensive, Pocket Square, <laughs> <laughs> the man, the myth, the legend, but two-time best-selling author, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself, Dr. Jamar Tisby. How much that Pocket Square cost? Like, man, bro, look, I listen, mean, y'all you should see, see how this man dresses. Y'all see that? For just whatever. I mean, you see me right now. It's just, it's comfortable. We recording. This Some brother of us came need all like the he, help we can get, okay? No, bro, this brother came <laughs> like, he going to see like an official or something. <laughs> I do want to acknowledge we're talking about what, what we're wearing because you can see us. We're so shout out to everybody video. who is watching us on YouTube, our, our PTM YouTube family. This Welcome is a level up new, for us. Welcome Folks to the new to school. Yes. I love this. Shout out to Ryan. I man love it. Shout camera. out to the whole team. Yeah. Ryan, Bo, the whole team. It's amazing. So listen, man, uh, I've been thinking about something. And I've been thinking about some, especially as it relates to this broader justice conversation. The broader justice conversation is a good thing. It's good that we're having some conversations that we haven't had before. But I'm just going to step outside of the little, the black centered bubble just for a second We'll get back well, in. maybe we're in the Black Center yeah, bubble making an observation is, outside of the Black exactly. Center bubble. It's a lot of white Christians talking about justice and talking about accountability and talking about repentance and lament. And praise God for that. I don't think there's anything wrong with the pastor. I think that's great. But you know what's interesting? Sometimes I don't feel like they go as far as they could go. And so the good that they talking about kind of gets lost because it's not going as far. Listen, so here's what here's what was happening. <laughs> I was listening to the Christianity Today Mars Hill podcast, the rise and fall of Mars Hill. They're talking about uh, Pastor Mar Driscoll. Listen, I respect it. It was entertaining. Um, I did not listen to the entire season. I did. I listened to about six episodes. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of good in their framing and a lot of good in their, well, I say a lot of good in their analysis, a lot of good in some of the choices that they made. And this isn't about this. This is a broader topic. Right. But right. this just spurred the thought. Bro, it kind of vexed me because I felt like at some point Mark Driscoll was being presented in some way, shape or form framed as an outlier. Mm. He was being framed as an extreme. Mm. He was being framed as somebody that we can't believe he did this. Look at how bad he was. Well, you know, he did do some good things, but look at how bad he was. It was like, do we talk about the good he did, how bad he, and, and admittedly, I didn't listen to the entire season. So, you know, get me for that. But it made me ask the question, do y'all even have the equipment to critique what produces the Mark Driscolls. Wow. I mean, I, 
I know people think, oh, man, you're attacking them. And all. Look, bro, I'm just saying, if you're going to talk about it, talk about talk all about of it. it. <laughs> talk about all of it. Everything. Go deeper and figure out ways in which even CT has been complicit. Mm. And even the organizations that now are turning around and critiquing have produced the very thing that they're now critiquing. Wow. So I know there's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> to leave this is into, deep. But I'm just, I'm, I'm asking the question, is it even possible? Can you even critique rightly if you don't frame properly? Can you even critique rightly if, if you were part of the problem? Right. But, you know, I'm also thinking about it in the context of this. I'm thinking about it in the context of this budding organization and this budding organization that started as a black offshoot of a reformed tradition. And this budding organization made a shift about five years into its existence. And this budding organization changed this name, changed this focus. But yet in previous years, this organization was the mouthpiece for the black arm of this reformed movement. It's an organization you may have heard of. It's called The Witness. <laughs> Sounded familiar. Yeah. Can we critique the thing that we help produce? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's just Mar- I don't think it's just CT. I don't think it's just Mars Hill. Or just we're asking the question. Yeah. Is it possible for us to critique if we're still not reckoning with what we have helped to produce? That's the question I have today. So it brings to mind to me that 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 quote, you can't dismantle the master's house with the master's tools. Or I should put it like this. The question, can Satan cast out Satan? <laughs> Which I'm not saying y'all Satan. I'm not saying we Satan. But, you know, you get the point. Right, 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 right. So so with that phrase, uh, um, master's house, master's tools, I actually think tools are neutral. So I think it's more about can you dismantle the master's house with the master's methods? Okay. So I might still use a hammer, hmm. but not the same way the person who built the house did or on the same surface or whatever. Hmm. You know what I mean? So that's what I think we're critiquing is if we remain hmm. in a sort of white evangelical Christian methodology, way of understanding hmm. the Bible, way of understanding God, the way of doing church, then what kind of critique can we level while we're using the same methods to cr- critique the same edifice, if you will. That's that's very interesting. The methods and the tools. That's good. That's very interesting. What are what are the methods? Right. Right. Well, I mean That's what that's what I want to get to because we tools and methods are different. If their tools and methods are different, right. And tools are neutral, but the methods are tainted. Yeah, like like like, like like knowing Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic. That's a tool. Mm-hmm. The method is how you interpret the language, right? And so there was actually been studies showing how, particularly with gendered pronouns, the method influences where it's it's been masculinized hmm. when it's supposed to be more expansive or something of the uh, hmm. of that nature, right? So so you know, for me. I went to Reformed Theological Seminary. You did. So I'm getting the tools, but I'm also getting the methods, right? So a big part of what we call decolonizing, I think, is about critiquing the methods that we've adopted and saying there's other yeah. ways to do it. 
So how does this intersect with Moses, right? I use this mosaic um, analogy a lot, how Moses understood mm-hmm. both Egyptian mm-hmm. and Hebrew. I see. I see. How does this, in- how do you feel like this intersects with a, a, a Moses motif and <laughs> how many of us, especially in black Christian tradition, the expanse of black Christian tradition, identify with Moses and identify with his plight and his struggle of coming out of and stepping into and then going back into to bring people out of. Right, right, right. How, how, do, how do you think this intersects with tools and methods when it comes to Moses? Well, Moses demonstrated a mastery of multiple methods, hmm. a mastery of multiple. He was bilingual in the sense yes. of, of his cultural toolkit, which can be an advantage, right? Yeah. Uh, Otis Moss, I have to shout him out. He calls it uh, Otis Moss III. He called it, he, uh, he said, Moses knew uh, Rachmaninoff and Ma Rainey. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Like he knew he knew Uptown and Motel. Like we were talking about we were talking about Denzel Washington the other day. Right, right, yeah, yeah. How um, do we even get to Denzel in this? We like, can get to Denzel in any any way, shape, or form fashion. Yeah. <laughs> so Denzel can play Othello, and Denzel can show up in a black neighborhood, knock on a random door of a house, and kick it. With local black folks. And he did that in Chicago, right? Exactly. That was what he was doing? It was a, it was a whole clip on it. And, and, and if you didn't know Denzel was Denzel, you would think he was a relative. Right. Because he just, he, he, he could hit that note. But he can also go into the upper echelons of Hollywood play, society and play, play any role. Macbeth. <laughs> yes, know? Like yes. Just, you know, yeah. he, can, he can win an Oscar, right? Yeah. So, so. It's it's the ability, and I think actually that's actually very um, central to the black experience. Is for survival's sake, we've had to know how the people mm-hmm. in power operate. Mm-hmm. So anyway, when it comes back to church, I think it it, it 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 can be it can be a benefit and a trap. So as we've talked about on other episodes, if we're uncritical. Yeah. About the spaces we end up in. Yeah. Particularly as black people in predominantly white Christian spaces. And then if we are uh therefore uncritical about the methods and the methodologies and and, and the ways that we understand God in those contexts, it can be a trap. Mm-hmm. It can be anti-black without us ever intending. <laughs> right, right. But right. if we're more conscious and intentional about it, we can say Oh, I see how they understand this. Here's a different way of understanding it, but I can communicate it in a way that you will understand, or I can take what's good about your method and expand on it to something that's more affirming. So what you're saying is the question and the conversation is different in white white and black settings. (laughs) Just a little bit. So what you're saying is my question is still legitimate. When it comes to a white evangelical understanding of justice. Well, absolutely. Because that's the thing, right? Like, here's, here's my frustration with the current conversation around justice that's happening among white Christians. Go there. It's still happening among white Christians. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> like, like yeah. at what point are you going to sit at the feet of people who have lived under oppression and have fought for justice as part of their faith and survival. But they bought your book. 
They bought it and they 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 didn't they didn't look back. <laughs> well, I mean, people would say, okay, well, we we bought your book, we brought you out here, yeah. we listened to Pastor Mike. I mean, what more do you want us? I to mean, do? listen, I've got ideas. Is that sit, is me. that sitting is that sitting at the feet of? It's a start. What's the next step? The next step is a. You have to decide to embed justice practices in the life of the church and not just as a topical sermon series, right? Like okay. it has to be a rhythm in the life. Of, it has to be, like you said, a way of being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And you can only do that if you have some sort of deep, authentic relationships with folks who know and understand this. Right. And and by that, I don't just mean, you know, the pastor talks to a black pastor. I mean, as you're structuring church programs discipleship, teaching, that in some way, shape, or form, that is being spoken into by people who deeply understand justice from a faith perspective. Hmm. 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 I don't know. What would you say? What's the next step? Man, this is a good question. I, I feel like you're, when you're talking about methods, I feel like the method of common use when it comes to the white evangelical construction of justice is to profit and to center hmm. to profit off of mm-hmm. the work that has been done, whether explicit or implicit. Oftentimes here's what happens. Um, I was watching, uh, what was I watching? I was watching world war Z. Yes. Is that the one with Brad Pitt? Yeah. The yep. one with Brad Pitt. And I was rewatching that, I want to say a couple of weeks ago. And I was rewatching that, and it was so wild to see how, in some in some context, with the zombie horde, like certain zombies would sacrifice themselves in order for others to get through. Mm. And so I feel like sometimes, like black Christians are the first line, and we take hits. And but we broke, we left a crack in the door, and then people step on our backs to get to. So it feels like we took a lot of black Christians took hits and arrows, and now white Christians are profiting off of watch out the opening of the door for the justice conversation. And once the heat died down. They could profit off of, and that's not like it's an an intentional thing. It's a subconscious thing. Yeah. So now, after five, six years of Black Christians talking about justice and getting unfollowed, blacklisted, listen, losing jobs, opportunity, income, having to bite their tongues, in this particular iteration, being attacked and ostracized. Now, then, white Christians come behind and step over. And say this is what we should be talking about. And they get attacked too, but they weren't the first ones to say it. So the hits feel different. Boy, I feel some type of way about this. Let's pause and let's come back and talk <laughs> about that as we navigate our feelings on this topic.
Hey folks, Jamar Tisby here, and I am so grateful for your support, your listening, your engagement with the Pass the Mic podcast. I'm wondering if this podcast has been helpful to you, challenging, encouraging, if you would consider becoming a paid subscriber to the podcast for as little as $1 an episode, you can help keep this good work going. Just visit patreon.com slash pass the mic. That's patreon.com slash pass the mic. We appreciate you for your support. No, that's a lot for us to process. A lot for us to think about. How do you feel about what I just said? Do you feel like it's fair? I feel like it's real. And and I'm trying to do trying to not do what we say not to do, Absolutely. which is speak out of our pain. Absolutely. You know, speak yeah, while the, yeah, the, yeah. the wound is open and not a scar. I'll say this much. Um with the color of compromise, first of all, I was astounded as, at its reception. Every author hopes their book lands well, but it landed extremely well, partly because of a cultural moment that we were yeah. in around racial justice. And that's something you should be proud of. I'm very pleased that it happened. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're like, I don't know if I'm proud um, of it. I'm pleased. I think, I think, you know, Austin Channing Brown, I'm still here. Natasha Morrison, Be the Bridge. All of us had books around similar themes at the similar times and helped spark the conversation anew among particularly white evangelicals, right? But I feel some type of way because in a short span of less than two years, this conversation has quickly moved beyond and left us behind in some ways Hmm. not in the sense of Hmm. i want to keep up with you but in the sense of the people who sort of sparked this idea or this conversation you you had them at the beginning and and now it has become white evangelical navel gazing once again Hmm. So you're replicating Hmm. the same mistakes that got you there in the first place which is centering white people and white methods of understanding justice because you got a taste through the book or the chapter or the podcast, but you didn't actually (laughs) go all the way to actually adopt methods. Right. So it's quite painful because this cuts into our livelihoods. I mean, like you said before, because we've taken these stances, we've taken blows. Right. And I can distinctly remember around the 2016 election saying the mildest things that were like, mm, Trump's not fit, right? Saying the mildest thing, right. boom, speaking engagements canceled, preaching engagements canceled right. because right. now I was too political, right? And even now, cut off from access to honestly some very wealthy branches of yeah. the church because they don't like what we're saying. Why does that matter? Break down for the people why that matters, especially even for the for the black Christians who are listening, who don't understand the implications of what you just said. We have taken the hits like it's been costly for us to do this as our service to the church. Well, and specifically, then you and specific, yeah, specifically the wealthy branches mm-hmm. because of the generational implications of that. Talk that's about right. why that's important. <sighs> So you're saying the generational wealth that's been accumulated in certain circles. And, and why being cut off from that matters for black Christians. 
So we don't have we don't have a safety net. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Like here, That's even 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 the you know majority of black people are middle class. The difference is we're one layoff, one illness, yeah. one sick family member away from falling back below the poverty line. Yes. We don't have the 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 wealth, the equity, the property, the 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 inheritance to fall back on. So when we take those blows financially, it's just one form of it, but it's a big part. Then we got nothing. Well, beyond that, it's also the wear and tear. Oh my goodness! Of the buffer, we can't create. We can't it, create a a health and wholeness buffer, yeah. a wellness buffer. That kind of constant feeling of being on the edge. I mean, anybody who's poor knows what that feels like, that, that things are okay today. I don't know what tomorrow's going to be like. And that creates this, this, this sort of constant low-level or high-level anxiety that has a, a literal mental and physical wear and tear, a physio- physiological yes. wear and tear. So anyway, all of that to say, we did this. Yes. We would do it regardless, right? Because we it's our reasonable act of service. We do it unto the Lord. But at the same time, should Christians be benefiting from that yeah. sacrifice without further acknowledging, incorporating, learning from the people who made it? Well, and I think the question is even deeper than that, which is not even incorporation and benefiting from and learning from, but then... Can you fund but not lead? Ooh. And I feel like this is the question we've been asking deep, for yes. since 2014. Can you fund the work but not be at the center of the work? Can you fund the work and no one knows? Right. Can you promote and give platform to and draw attention to and say we as an organization are committed and dedicated to learn? And I'm not saying that a CT or any particular other organization is not learning behind the scenes. Sure. But what I'm saying is it just felt so strange to be in a space where critiquing Mark Driscoll in 20, whenever, when he was popular in 2000, whenever was dangerous. Hmm. It was a dangerous work and I wasn't doing it, but I know that there were women who were doing it. Yeah. I know that there were, Black Christians who were doing it, I wasn't doing it myself. Sure. And so I can't imagine what they've gone through in their attacks that they've received, but also in the fact of just the wear and tear of not being heard. (sighs) And then now, after he's a pariah and an extremist, well, who's that person now? There you go. That's a good point. Or I mean, not even that person. I'm sorry. Who are those people now? Right, 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 right. Who are being critiqued and called out? And people are saying, you're doing too much. Mm. And they're receiving attacks and arrows, but then they're not going to get the opportunity to step into leading the critique and being funded in order to do the work of the ministry, which is to preserve the future of the church Mm. and the purity of those who will leave the church because of toxic, unsafe, unhealthy practices within the context of the church. So who are those people now? And and what's the next conversation going to be? And how do we create a rhythm of of funding but not leading, of mm. supplying but not centering? How do we do that? And how do we encourage others to say, we're actually not going to participate in this? 
I'm not saying that's what it. We're actually not going to participate in this until. Right, 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 <laughs> right, right. It reminds me of something I've said in, on on other episodes that there are many predominantly white churches and white church traditions that are in a mad rush to make progress right. on race relations, justice, without turning around and looking at the trail of trauma they've left behind. Yeah. Okay. So yes, yes. So so there are yes. there are whistleblowers. Yeah. Who for years prior to whatever church leadership, finally the light bulb comes on that were that were sounding the alarm and they were gaslit for it. Yeah. They were yeah. ostracized for yeah. it. They yeah. may have lost their jobs for it. Yeah. What is the restitution? What is the uh, uh, healing that takes place for those folks? So, so, so that can happen in, in, in any individual congregation or denomination in a broader sphere as we're looking at race in the church, as we're looking at churches that want to make progress mm-hmm. on racial justice. What is the healing for those who sounded the alarm long yeah. before you finally <laughs> right, right. realized yeah. and the light switch came on? All right, Jesus is coming to our house. I'm welcoming him in. And if I've made anyone feel like, mm. if I've made anybody feel like they couldn't preach the full counsel of Jesus here, mm. if I've defrauded anybody, <laughs> if I've robbed anyone, yeah, if I've been unjust to anybody, yeah, I'll pay it back fourfold. Before you offer your gift at the altar, go be reconciled to your brother or sister. So yeah. what does this specifically look like on matters of justice? What are some things that black Christians should be expecting? Because I know how it felt when I read um, I Bring the Voices of My People by Dr. Shaniqua Walker yes, yes, and how it's like, you can't have a conversation about race now where it's just one black man, one white man. You can't have the conversation about race in a panel without black women now, for me. I don't have any desire for that. If we're having a panel discussion, it's got to include black women. Yeah. Otherwise, it's, I'm not there. Yeah. Like, it's got to include multiple perspectives. Perspectives. It's got to include the people that were, you know, silenced and kept out of this conversation. What does that look like in addition to that? I mean, I think that's a huge, huge step that any church body should take, and, and many haven't, most probably haven't, and they certainly wouldn't think of the gender dynamics mm-hmm. of racism, right? So to me, it's some sort of ongoing structured and intentional way of honoring those in a way, in such a way as, hey, you helped me understand at this particular point in my walk. I'll bet you can help me continue to understand as we mm-hmm. progress together. Mm-hmm. So so what it looks like is supporting those individuals mm-hmm. and voices, whether they have a nonprofit, whether that's buying their books, whether that's booking them to speak, whether that's getting them as consultants, whether that's just offering a gift, right? right? Like this work will help you find the next thing that you want to do. Amen. So, so patron in the classic sense, right? Yeah. Of you have a creator whose work you support and you say, I'm just going to give you time, space and resources to do more of what you do. That's, that's, that's funding without leading. Hmm. Right. Um, it's, I trust you. 
because I saw the value in your work in, in this piece, I'm trusting that you're going to create m- more work of value. So right. let me facilitate right. that. Right. I think that's huge. Bro. Right. That's revolutionary. It seems like such a small thing, especially if you're in a church or a denomination or a tradition that has money. Because you're used to having money and it's not like that big of a deal. And so maybe you sometimes forget the perspective of those who don't have resources. Yes. Right? Yes. Like like this whole setup for us is huge because for so much of the life of the witness, we didn't have video resources or capability. We didn't have this professional. We, 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 We were two dudes with laptops. Right. 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 Absolutely. And and Absolutely. so never overestimating or underestimating the value of providing resources, some of which you may take for granted. But the more the the the, the deeper point is most of white Christians and churches are at a very beginning point in terms of their understanding of and action toward racial justice. Yes. And and what has happened, it seems to me is they've taken that very little bit they gleaned and and off to the races with it using their same methods and methodologies. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, leaving behind the folks who can really yeah. accelerate the, that, that progress. Yeah, that's so good. I'll say two things. I think we should never underestimate the basic Christian understanding of what it means to repent and repair. Come on. We should never understand the power of repentance. Power of lament. Yeah. We should yeah, never misunderstand that. We should never underestimate that. We should never misunderstand what that means and what that looks like and how a statement of repentance and repair can transform a church, can transform relationships, can transform a city. And then I would say, we can't do justice without a plan now. So now I'm not concerned about, are you talking about justice on Sunday? What is your plan for doing justice throughout the week? What is your church formational strategy for what justice will be? And this is where I think the church needs to be pushed. The white evangelical church in particular needs to be pushed. Do justice with a plan. You are not just doing justice by osmosis or because you talk about things one time or two times. And you need to fund those who can build the plan. And you need to consult with those who can build out the plan. And you need to receive coaching from those who can build out the plan. I think there's space for that. If people are not tra- triggered and traumatized, I think there's space to reparatively pay for coaches and leaders and formational directors and disciplers and teachers who can help you to do what you should be doing. Yeah, absolutely. But you need a plan. And without a plan, there's no way this works. I love that you said that because I always say, the difference between a dream and a goal is a plan. Yeah. And we're in, as we record this 2022, we've had lots of critique of the current racial status quo. We've had lots of expressions of desires for something different. How are you going to get there? Yeah. You need a plan, right? Um, Yeah. So I'm so glad that you said that because that's talking about embedding it in, in the practice and the way to, create a good plan is to access some of those voices. And I know folks will be listening. Okay. Well, who, who is that? Right. You know what I'll say before that also is, you know, yeah. Embed those voices. I think that's important. Um, you know, I don't think it's always national folks. I think a lot of times it's local folks too. I think some folks in your area, probably some folks that left your church that you kicked out, you know? Um, but I think it's also, Hey, 
Can we not be afraid to change our theology? That's the method part. Yes. Can we not be afraid to literally change what we think about certain things? Mm. How we believe about certain things? Mm. I'm not talking about the fundamentals. I'm not talking about the things that make us, we believe, make us Christian. Yeah. And make us believers in the gospel of Jesus. But some of these non-essentials may need to be addressed and reapproached. And that may be a, a, if you can't pause the machine to make it healthy, the machine is going to destroy lives. Pause the machine. Stop it. Take it apart. Put it back together. And see what parts are essential and what parts are not. Mm. What parts you need to add. Redo the whole thing. If that's what, if you're really about justice, redo the thing. <laughs> take, take it apart. Put it back together. This is back to the point. Can Satan cast out Satan? Exactly. exactly. Can you bring about justice through the same methods that brought about injustice? Of course not. You can't. But we don't think about it like that. We just think, oh, we're just yeah. doing church. We're just doing theology. But you haven't actually mastered the methodology, which means not co-opting it either. Right. Credit where credit is due. And understand that it has taken Man. black Christians and black church tradition generations yeah. to come up with what we've come up with. Generations of pain and trauma, too. Yes. And so... Um, Man, this is... This is heavy. So it's a, it's about it's about rethinking what it means to be the church. Yeah. If it is true that the church in the U.S. has so often been more shaped by white supremacy than the Savior. Hmm. Hmm. So if that is true, hmm. how can you read a book or preach the sermon and just be done? You know, just think yes. you got it. And that's the crux. If you think you simply need to improve a little bit. Tweak if, it. If you think we just need tweaks, you've missed the point of the last 10 years. But if you realize that white supremacy is a demonic, satanic force that must be confronted and expelled wherever you find it, it's going to look different. And you're going to be a little bit more drastic. New methods. And new methods. That's helpful, man. I hope this has helped some people to wrestle with some things. <laughs> it's going to trouble some people. <laughs> In a good way, I hope. Yes. This past the mic, man. What you think this is, man? Like, <laughs> it's what we do. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, you know. <laughs> For however long we do it, this is what we do. Nah, that's helpful, man. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.